episode 6, Alexander the Great podcast. Thanks everyone who's written a review. I've got three new reviews I will be reading at the end of this podcast. Please write a review and I will send you a gift. Uh, I was listening to the last episode and it sounds like I'm going to send you something <laughs> very... I'm going to show you how happy I am. No, nothing, you know, it's not. It's, it's going to be nothing coming out of me, if you know what I mean. It's going to be something regarding Alexander the Great. So yes, write a review and I will send you a gift all the way from Greece. Um, that's about it. Yeah, I'm on PayPal as well if you want to donate a little bit. That would be very good. And uh, also Patreon. And um, yeah, check me out. I'm on YouTube as well. YouTube, I need to sort out YouTube. I'm a bit hard to find. Alexandros Megas Alexandros Podcast. I don't know how you'd say that in English. Uh, that's about it. Let's get to the episode. Thank you very much. See ya. Last time we talked about the siege of Amphipolis by our boy Philip, Alexander's dad. While besieging Methoni, he lost his eye. He then destroyed the city to such an extent that, according to Justin, you could hardly tell there was once a city there. However, he was kind to the city's civilians. He even let them pick out their favorite outfit before they were told to fuck off. Uh, today, we're going to start off the episode by talking about Delphi. Or Delphi, you might know it as. It's Delphi in Greek. Delphi is a location of ancient Greece... Ancient Greece's most important oracle. Now, the oracle, you you know, ancient uh, the ancient Greeks would go to an oracle and ask things like, what's going to happen with this war? What's going to happen with this? And they would tell them the future. Apparently, they could see in the future. The oracle was in, the, the, the Delphi oracle was in honor of the god Apollo. Apollo is the god of music, sunlight, art, healing, archery, knowledge, herds and flocks, oracles of course, and protector of the young. Also, he's known as one of the few deities who shaves his face. Uh, most other gods like a nice bushy beard. Um, now, a bit of a, a background story about the oracle. There was once a serpent called Delphini, or Delphini in Greek, uh, according to the hymn of Apollo, or plainly said religious songs dedicated to Apollo, Delphini, that bitch, was a man and sheep eating monster. In fact, in fact, she was seen as a bloody plague. She was more of a dragon than a serpent. In Greek, she's called a Vrakena. We still have a fish uh, called that today, Vrakina, it's a scary name, scary fish as well. Uh, Apollo was looking, I need to stop saying, uh, uh, fucking hell. Apollo was out um, looking for his people, so he, he decided to slay the dragon, and since then they called the place Delphi. The actual temple had a sign that the people who entered, the, who entered it would read, Gnothi Safton. In Greek, um, in English, it means know thyself. Jordan Peterson is using his one of his uh, uh, Facebook campaigns. I fucking love that, man. Uh, but yes, know thyself. Yeah, that, that's where it comes from. Uh, it comes from Delphi. The Otheros, the same the Otheros I've been using as one of my main sources for Philip and Alexander, the Otheros of Sicily, as he is mostly known, has a story about how the Oracle of Delphi came to be. 
A shepherd could tell there was something wrong with his goats every time they would eat from a specific place. Um, so every time they would eat from a specific place, they would start behaving in a weird sort of way. So he goes there and sees there's a gap between the rocks with fumes coming out of this gap. He takes a big drag from the fumes and he starts acting and talking crazy, you know, saying and seeing things and everything. So he goes back to his village and tells everyone, yo, you gotta try this shit out. I'm telling you, it's the shit. So they all go along, you know, they don't knock it until you try that kind of mentality. The whole village went fucking insane. The other says that there were people who were jumping off the mountains um, if they were inhaling too much. He uses a nice term, theolipti, in Greek, in the ancient Greek, which means he who has received God. Uh, they end up banning this magical place due to its divine nature. In the beginning, the priest of Apollo decided to have a young virgin, typically she was also the hottest of the village, who would talk in brackets, you know, in, in what you call them, you know, uh, who would talk to the god Apollo, uh, you know, air quotes. <laughs> and she was getting high as fuck, basically, and blabbering out anything that came in mind. This lady was called Pythia. Pythia would drink water from the Castalia spring, then she would chew on laurel leaves, and then she would sit on a tripod right above the gap that the fumes would come out of. A priest would go over, ask her the question that he wanted answers for, and she would, rep she would reply in a kind of wasted fashion, wooden, disc, wall, habada, jabada, whatever. Pythia has uh, said you must build wooden walls that shall save your city. And this was actually the case when the Athenians decided to consult the oracle before they were about to battle the Persians. Themistocles suggested this means we must invest in the navy and build well-fortified ships. The others said, no, you crazy animal. It obviously means we must literally build a giant wooden wall and hide behind it. Spoiler alert, Themistocles was right. Uh, what I'm trying to underline here is that it's mostly in the hands of the priest how they interpret Pythia's message. So she could be saying, get some fucking wood for the fire, I'm freezing over here. But the priest would completely misunderstand her message. Also, usually the priest would give Pythia's message in a way that they would have the least amount of responsibility if shit hits the fan. You can imagine their response if Themistocles' plan didn't go well. We never told you to make a bunch of ships. How is this our fault? And there was also a famous case of a man who asked about the sex of his soon-to-be child. Pythia said, Aren u thili, which means male, not female. Depending on where you put the comma, it can either be male, not female, or male, not female. A bit after... Alexander's time in 219 BC, some asshole called Echecrates from Thessaly kidnapped and raped the young and beautiful Pythia. And since then they decided Pythia from now on will be a more mature woman in her 50s. The thinking was, what kind of weirdo would want to kidnap a 50-year-old, let alone fucker? <laughs> if only they could see my Pornhub feed. They would probably say, get the young one back in. People in the future like the older ladies. I think, you know, most women my age, I'm 32, agree with me that older women are, you know, 
you know, you blossom, no? Anyway, I should move on. Uh, to become a Pythia uh, must have been uh, an enviable profession. They had the right to buy land. She was exempt from tax. She could appear at public events. She had a salary. All this while other women in Athens were not allowed to leave their homes unless it was for them going to the theatre. But that's pretty much it for Pythia. Let's talk a bit about the actual oracle of Delphi. All cities of Greece had the right to consult the oracle. Usually Thessaly would be the first to consult the oracle, as Delphi was part of the Thessalian state. The Greeks had a word for this, they called it Bromandia. Thessaly will lose this right after they were invaded by Thebes in 364. It was mostly in flux. Thebes had Bromandia for a while, then Athens, we're going to see Macedonia have it in the future. It was that sort of deal, you know. Uh, this, this oracle was a big deal for the Greeks, very sacred. As a result, it, could, it couldn't be controlled by a single state. So a coalition of cities created the so-called Amphictionic Council. They would declare war on anyone who violates the oracle, and the war would be called a holy war. The Amphictionic Council was probably established somewhere around 595 to 586, and their original goal was to protect the temple of Dimitra in Anthili, which is near Thermopylae. The first sacred war took, uh, took place somewhere around 595, as we said, and it started off when a coalition of cities from Thessaly, Sision, a city from on the northern part of uh, Peloponnesus, and Athens turned against the city of Kira, a Phocian city. Apparently, the Kirans were doing nasty things to the pilgrims of the Oracle. The Thessalians had their eye on Phocida for quite a while, so they could be making this whole thing up. The city of Kira is going to be completely destroyed. The Thessalians remained in the area for about 20 years until the Veotians kicked them out. Veotia is a region of Greece, and its largest city is Thebes. So Veotia, we mean, you know, everything, all together, but Thebes, pretty much. Uh, the second sacred war was instigated by the Spartans in 448. They didn't like the control uh, the Athenians and the Phocians had of the oracle. They claimed it should be independent and gave it to the Amphictyonic Council. Here, Council, you control who sees the oracle and all that jazz. This doesn't last long, as the great Pericles campaigns against the Spartans a few years later, we don't exactly know when, and hands it over to the Phocians. And that brings us to the third sacred war. This time there's a new player in town, Philip and the state of Macedon. It all started when a meeting of the Amphictyonic Council, the Thebans, say, hey, let's talk about the fact that both the Phocians and the Spartans have yet to pay back their fines. It's been a while. Uh, shouldn't the fines be paid off by now? Keep in mind that Thebes and Phocida were allies at this time. <laughs> That's like you and your mate going for beers at your bar and him ratting you out just as the owner is walking by. Hey, remember those beers you had the other day that you couldn't pay off because you wasted all your money? Did you ever came, come back and pay? You know, definitely a cunt move. Uh, the Phocians fine is kind of funny how it started. It was imposed because they were cultivating the sacred land of the plains of Kira, where the animals would be sacrificed in honor of the oracle. The Spartans did something a bit more serious. They took over Kadmia, which was the Acropolis of Thebes. 
Thebes. This was in 382, now we're in 356, so nearly 30 years, and they have yet to make a single payment. <laughs> the Amphictyonic Council decides that both fines will be double. Boom! You know, that sucks for Focus, for Forgiver and Sparta. Focus, Forgiver. I don't know, you know, how would you translate it? This, this translating thing should be easier for me. Should I just stick, I should just stick with the Greek names, right? No? No, we'll see. Anyway, Philomilos from uh, Fokida not only convinces his people to not pay back the increase of the fine, but he also suggests that they should occupy Delphi as a sign of protest. He is then assigned the role of general for the Fokian army. He is then set, he is then... He is then sent to Sparta so he can ask for some help. He promises them that he can convince the Amphictyonic Council to give them a better deal regarding the fine. One of the kings of Sparta, as Sparta had a dual kingship, Archidamos, gives Philomelos 15 talents under the table. You know, make sure this stays between us. Philomelos was very happy to accept. He hires some mercenaries and he occupies Delphi. The Locrians are like, fuck this guy, so they decide to invade the Oracle. But in the end, they get caught by Philomelos' men and are thrown off the Fedriades stones, as was the tradition when dealing with sacrilegious bastards. Uh, Philomelos also has Pythia, poor girl, uh, who he then forces to talk to Apollo. He says, asking, what should I do? What should I do now? You know, what am I going with this? Pythia was probably freaking out already, you know, she saw him throw the Locrians off the cliff. You don't want to mess around with this guy, so she says, do whatever you want. Hmm, Philomelos likes the sound of that. Uh, to start off, he sends ambassadors to various states to justify his actions. I should firstly say that there was some sort of competition, in air quotes, um, which state would send the oracle the most money. So everyone knows there's a shitload of money at Delphi. Uh, the city-states know this. Philomelos definitely knows this. So he sends ambassadors, make sure you tell them that I promise to protect the oracle and its treasury. Unfortunately for him, the Amphictyons do not trust him, so they, so they declare a holy war on the state of Fokida which means that soon a coalition of warriors and armies, all members of the Amphictyonic Council, shall be marching against Fokida. He is forced, according to the others, to take money from the treasury and hire 10,000 extra mercenaries. The salary was one and a half times above normal to overcome any possible regrets they might be having, mainly because they were stealing money from the oracle. Now, uh, you must be saying just a minute ago, Philomelos had promised that he would not go near the treasury. When eventually he is asked, you know, what the fuck, guy, you promised? Apparently his response was, I promised to protect the treasury, not its content. <laughs> to begin with, he was using the treasury just to buy mercenaries. But after a while, they were getting dancers to visit them and hookers to tuck them in at night. You know, who can blame them? I would probably have done the same thing. Philomelos, with his mercenaries and himself in charge, invade the Locrians. We mentioned them before. There he defeats a coalition of army from the Locrians and the Thebans. And another victory, and then another victory against 6,000 Thessalians on Mount Argola. 
Thessaly, after this, is going to split into two powers, Ferez being one of them. They then ask Athens for help. Athens has made an alliance with Phokida, so Phokida is going to end up getting help from Athens. Sparta and Ferez, you know, good for them. And the Thessalian League, with Larissa in charge, ask Philip for help. Philomelos doesn't last very long. In 354, he will lose a battle in the plains of Neona against the Amphictyons. They had an army of 13,000 men under Pamenis, the same Pamenis that took care took care in air quotes <laughs> of Philip when he was kept hostage in Thebes. Uh, those who didn't die in battle were forced to jump off Mount Parnassos. Philomelos either lived long enough to say that epic line, I promise to protect the treasure, not its content, or he jumped off the mountain, killing himself in the process. Thebes is like, yeah, I'm glad that's over. So they sent Pamenis along with 5,000 soldiers to Asia Minor to serve under Artavazos against the Persian king. I suspect they got paid, I doubt they went there just for the hot weather. Uh, there's also another story that Philip drove Pamenis to Avdira in Thrace. He helped him come to an agreement with Gersovleptis. Help out my friend, he doesn't really know the place that well. He will want to come back soon and we, of course, would be happy to pay you. I wouldn't be surprised if Pamenis and Philip had a little thing to remember the good old days, can you imagine? Oh, but Philip, where were you? Uh, Philip then, on the road returning to Pella, occupies two cities, Avdira and Maronia. <laughs> what a fucking legend. Uh, we're here, what am I supposed to do? Just walk past a poorly structured city and leave them alone? No, I want to take everything they got. Uh, those two cities had an alliance with Athens, and as luck would have it, uh, there were 20 Athenian triremes in the harbour. Philip says, okay, I need four boats packed with our strongest rowers, so they get their boats ready, and he orders them to go into the open. The Athenians then chase them, thinking Philip is one of those boats, get him. But the Athenians, when the Athenians, while the Athenians were far enough, the rest of Philip's navy just waltz past the Athenian harbour. <laughs> and they make it to Imathea, where the Macedonians have a harbour of their own. All the ships made it back safely, including the four that created the distraction. Imagine being one of the Athenians on the harbour. You know, you just watch Philip go past slowly. <laughs> the Thebians... Definitely fucked up by allowing Parmenis to just leave. The Phokians have not given up, even though Philomelos is dead. They proclaim Onomarchos as their general and his brother Phylos second in command. Onomarchos gets into it quickly and takes more money from the treasury and hires more mercenaries. He even goes as far to mint his own coin. The Odoros says that he uses his own coins for bribing. First on the list to be bribed are the Thessalian leaders. They are bribed, this is, gets kind of confusing, so they cannot be involved in the war. Just take it and leave us alone, we don't want you on our side. <laughs> we said that Thessaly had asked Philip to help out, but he was busy with Methoni, losing an eye and everything. Uh, he had a lot on his plate, but in 354, when everything had calmed down, he is then ready for battle against an alliance of Ferez under Lycophronas and the Phocians under Phylos. Philip sorts them out rather quickly without much trouble, and the Thessalians, with the help of the Thessalians, probably. 
Onomarchos responds with a massive attack. He takes the whole army, about 20,000 infantry and 500 cavalry. Philip will lose for the first time in his career. He's been king for six years. Onomarchos is a badass. He will line up his phalanx in a semicircular shape in a valley. On the edges, he will place catapults. Philip sees him from afar and gives the order to attack. When Onomarchos sees Philip and his soldiers approaching, he gives the order for his men to fake a retreat. So he pretends to run away. Yeah, you got me, Philip. And when the Macedonians are close enough, the catapults take action and start dropping bombs. You know, not literal bombs, probably rocks and that kind of thing. The Macedonians have no other option but to retreat. While they're retreating, Onomarchos orders his phalanxes to attack. Philip will end up losing quite a few men. The remaining men start a mild rebellion against him, but he softens them up by saying, I am receding like a ram to strike harder. Uh, we know there were two battles, with Philip losing both of them. We don't have specific information about each battle. Some are saying that Philip wasn't around during the first battle, and that would explain why they lost. And then during the second battle, his men were already in bad shape emotionally, physically, you know, it must mess you up losing a battle, probably feel worthless afterwards. The Phocians, on the other hand, having just beaten the until then unbeatable Macedonians, must be feeling invincible. Yeah, bring it, bitches! Uh, Philip goes home, he needs to sort his shit out, obviously. His enemies on the eastern and northern borders are still enemies. The Illyrians would love to invade Macedonia along with the Paeonians, but also the king of Crace, Kers of Leptis, this clever little cunt, although he showed Philip that, yeah, we can get along, as his actions showed us by allowing Parmenis to cross the land and reach Asia Minor, this guy has now changed his mind about Philip. He thinks the defeat is going to have a lasting effect on Philip and his men. Tune in next time to find out. Is Gers of Leptis right? Will this defeat, you know, mess up um, Philip's psychology and everything? Probably not. Time to read the reviews. Thank you so much, everyone who wrote a review. I've got three new reviews this time, this episode. Uh, let's start with the first one. Dave, TH. Uh, I, I presume it's Dave, Dave, TH. It's not Davith, unless you're from Wales. Um, 12, Dave TH1218 from United States of America. Alexander, the way the, lo the locals <laughs> knew him. Okay, for starters, my fascination with Alexander the Great dates back to the to early 1980s when I was lucky enough to have a word history, a world history professor who shares her passion for Alexander with the class. I made my first trip to Greece in the summer of 1983 and I've been searching for Alex ever since. When I ran across this podcast, I was simply searching for some new material on Alexander. But when I saw his awesome artwork depicting, de depicting Alexander listening to an iPod, I was sold. Well done. Thank you. Uh, but it's not just pretty pictures. Michalis is also a great storyteller, and I really appreciate the fresh angle on the Macedonian army, told by a Greek military veteran. All right, let's stop for a little bit. First of all, I, I just did my national service. I mean, to end uh, respect to all military veterans. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've, if I can claim that. 
<laughs> everyone in Greece has done it. I haven't done anything crazy. Um, it's also interesting to me that so much of Alexander's spirit is alive and well in today's modern Greek army. <laughs> wow. Uh, I also like the spicy, I'd call it, realistic language he sometimes imparts on in the characters in these mythical personalities. For example, he talks about Greek lovers in battle and he admits that Greeks today do not like to talk about it, adding, but what the fuck guy, it's history, I'm not making this stuff up. Oh, okay, shit's about to get funny, huh? Anyway, if you're interested in learning more about Alexander, his progency and more from a different perspective i highly recommend this podcast thanks for creating it michalis dave t yeah you see that's at the end dave t thank you very much very much dave t amazing amazing review we've got two more bear with me exactly what i wanted and more by esprezolziolot by United States of America. I had just finished listening to a couple of great podcasts on ancient Greece up to Philip. Really wanted something on Alexander which included Philip's development. This is it. But it's also a bit casual in delivery, not accuracy or rigor, which is great. Love the tone. I'd listen to whatever this guy does. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Another great review. A wonderful podcast by the Repo Man 108. Wonderful podcast with a wonderful host that provides a compelling modern spin on Alexander the Great. It's like becoming well-versed in ancient history while having a beer at a bar with a friend. Highly recommend. Wow. That's exactly what I wanted, pretty much. That's the tone I wanted for the podcast. All three are great reviews. Thank you very much. Uh, but I think the winner has to be Dave TH1218 from the United States of America. Send me your address on Alec. What is my email? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Alexander uh, Great Podcast. But shit, let me get my email so I'm not, don't mess it up. Come on. Come on, Internet. Λοιπόν, Αλέξανδρος, αλέξανδρος.cast at gmail.com Send me your review. Uh, Dave, thank you very much for everything. I mean, that's a great review. And um, speak to you next, next time, guys. <laughs> See ya, bye-bye.